0: Those guys in the booth, like color and, and the play-by-play guy, they can explain stats, they can kind of talk to you about what's going on in the court. I want to know what's going on mentally. I want to know what the emotions of the game are. Like I think Washington is like, it's just a ripe area with basketball fans. There needs to be a team there. So should the NBA expand, and God willing, they will again. I just think Seattle is a really rich sports market and I want basketball back there.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Sri. We have a very exciting episode here for you today. We have a very special guest on the podcast, Warriors sideline reporter for NBC Bay Area. Kareth Burke is joining us today.
2: We're going to let her just introduce herself and explain what she does. So let's just get right into it.
1: I was just asking for our listeners
2: at home do you want to just tell us a little about yourself like your basic intro and stuff like that
0: man uh, my elevator pitch on myself i guess um i'm kareth burke i'm the golden state warrior sideline reporter for nbc sports bay area um, sports i love my job sports have taken me all over the country this is like my fifth job um, before this i used to work in new york city covering all those pro teams and then i got my start in local news Um, in smaller markets. So I used to have the big camera on my shoulder. I used to do the interviews and I would come back and edit everything and then present it. Um, That was a lot of work, but I'm really happy for what it taught me as far as how to tell a story from start to finish. Um, And yeah, now I've landed with the Warriors, which is pretty great.
2: So as a sideline reporter for one of the the craziest teams, I guess, in the last two decades, you had pretty unparalleled access not only to coaches players but kind of like the on-court dynamic that you know a team has that as fans watching on like tv we can't really discern watching from a game telecast how players interact how players and coaches interact so how does seeing all that up close kind of influence some of the questions you ask these players when you're doing the the on-court interviews
0: um, the questions really come from preparation. It comes from knowing the storylines, um, from covering the team, and actually having some behind-the-scenes access. As a broadcasting partner, um, I get to ride on the plane with the team. I stay at the same hotel. Um, we eat in the same area. That do- and when I say that, that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, like playing dominoes with Draymond. Like there is some separation there, but just being in the same spaces you get to see who they are as people. And I think that's really important when you're a reporter to approach them as people. Like when I first got this job, my first year, if I had any sort of like, Oh my God, that's Steph Curry. Oh my God. You know, I I wouldn't be able to do my job. I can't fan out here. I can appreciate who they are as players and their greatness, but you just got to treat people like people. And you made the point that when you see, when you see these guys in person, um, I remember Like I used to watch when I was working on the East Coast, I would come home at say like midnight or one o'clock after work and the Warriors West Coast games were on. So I was watching their dynasty from afar. And I was like, wow, that Steph Curry guy, he's really good. (laughs) When you see it in person, it's even more insane. He's like the most skilled hummingbird on the court I've ever seen. It's unreal. He's like watching a video game. So I want to still have those moments where I do have awe for the greatness and i'm watching like in terms of like a dynasty and how awesome this roster is but i also want to really treat them as people does this make sense like i can appreciate what they are like at their jobs you know when they're doing their thing on the court Mm -hmm. but i also just want to treat them like regular guys um and i think they appreciate that one of the best things you can do when you talk to athletes is not ask them about their sport seriously yeah it's a nice icebreaker
2: yeah because whenever whenever we go and watch games i've been to oracle a couple of times i went to chase center once and obviously we go for the pre-game like steph curry shooting like 45 footers and stuff like that we're just like we're captivated by the awe factor of these athletes but it's really cool that like you have that personal intimate connection with a lot of them
0: um it's i wouldn't say it's i understand what you're saying i wouldn't say it's intimate or too personal it's more like hey how you doing it's like acquaintances like Mm -hmm. as a reporter Your guideline is be friendly with people, but not Mm -hmm. friends with. So that's kind of the barrier that I, I try to keep. But, you know, if I pass somebody in the hallway, it's, hey, how you doing? Or like, hey, your daughter just had a birthday. That's really sweet. Or even, how was your weekend? You know, that kind of stuff. Got it.
1: Yeah. So you've been part of covering some of the greatest teams in basketball history, UConn's women's team, the U.S. women's national team in Rio, and this Warriors dynasty. So are there any common threads between these teams by the way they are in the locker room or the way they play on the court that makes them great?
0: Yes, it's leadership. Um, it starts with the coach and then it starts with the players. And it starts with like a standard that the coach wants to set and then the leaders on the team enforcing it. So say for UConn, um, you have Gino Oriema, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, side note, I often hear people say like, oh, Gino, he's so good, he could coach men. But he doesn't need to coach men to validate his career at all. And as the rosters change, the constant is him. And he always wants to evolve. So you just see like how greatness can change shape based on the personnel you have, as long as you have the right principles in place. Gino was the coach for Team USA um, in Rio. And then you have you know, the best players on that roster, 12 extraordinary women who want to win. Gino said he didn't really have to coach them that much. They knew what to do. But then when you get to um, the Warriors, you, know, you had Steve Kerr, who had never been a head coach before. Of course, he was a player, broadcaster, worked in the Sun's front office, but coaching is a different animal. A lot of coaching is like, it's almost like business management. You have to manage personalities. And then from there, they'll do the right things at their jobs. What helps Steve Kerr is having a leader like Steph Curry. Or having somebody super chill like Clay Thompson. You know, you've got these guys, like these really good-natured guys who are extremely competitive on the court, but just happy-go-lucky otherwise. So the vibe is really good. It's leadership. I see it in how they interact with media as well. Like Steve Kerr is such a media good guy. I know I've asked him some clunky questions, but he will always give you the benefit of the doubt. He always knows what you were trying to ask, and he'll give you a very... Like a very giving answer. And same with Steph Curry. Like he gets so many repetitive questions. He could totally just flip a switch and be a jerk about it. And he never is. Like thats it's such a luxury to work with a team that has a nice relationship with media. I know it's made my job much easier.
1: Yeah, speaking on that, I remember the 2019 finals when they were going through a lot of injuries and everyone kept on asking them about the injuries. But they were super nice about it, both Steph and uh, Coach Kerr were super nice about it. And, you know, understood that they had to ask, like the media had to ask about it. So.
0: Yeah. Like really every, every day. Yes. And I, I, did start to catch, they would take like a deep sigh before they answered, but they would do their best to, to give an answer. Um, when kind of like you don't always have the information every day, but they would do yeah. their best to say something as best as they could.
1: So you've also said that sports are linked to both fans and your family. So, with sports slowly coming back over the next few months, but without fans, how do you think the fans at home are going to react? Will the level of passion and enthusiasm still be the same when they're not sitting on the court?
0: I think so. I think there's just a hunger to, to have a fandom and to enjoy this collective thing that we've all tuned in for for a long time. I actually heard, and I haven't been able to verify this, so maybe that's one of those made up stats, but say for the NBA, 99% of fans interact with the games without being at the games, right? How many people could fit in an arena? Maybe 18, 19, 20,000. And some of that is cost prohibitive for fans. Some of the arenas, you know, for the teams they root for are just too far away. So they interact with say NBA Twitter. Um, they interact, you know, on Facebook, it, it, they talk to their families. I know I text my family all the time um, or they watch them on TV. So even though fans can't be in the building, I think there's, still a lot of ways fans can connect with games which are coming back and that's i know i'm really excited i have some conflicting feelings like i don't want anybody to risk their health to entertain me Um, but i do believe the nba is taking this bubble extremely seriously and they tried to find a plan to get these games to happen again Um, I feel like if they have this plan and it's this successful, like they owe it to the players to try to determine a champion this season. Like these guys are so competitive. Let's have some sort of resolution for this season and the bubble it is.
2: So speaking of the bubble, I know there've been some reports about like a second bubble for the non-playoff teams. And obviously it's like a weird situation with the Warriors getting everyone healthy. They're not your typical like non-playoff team, right? Like they have the talent to be like a top three, top four seed in the Western Conference, which is saying a lot but is is that something that if given the chance like you would go there and cover them at the bubble
0: i think so okay there's a lot of unknowns at this point so this answer is building on like a i'm not sure hypothetical if this happens but i'll give you guys the best answer that i can um the warriors would prefer to stay in the Bay Area and do like a training camp at their own facilities. Mm -hmm. If the NBA says, I'm sorry, that's not the plan, then they'll be good guys and they'll go to Chicago or Vegas or wherever it is. Um, Then once that domino falls, then my workplace will discuss how we would cover it. And then it would be, is it like, are we in person? Are we calling it remotely? Do we need people on site? So I, I just don't know, like on a personal level, I would definitely be open to it because i miss my job I'm, I'm i miss what i do
2: yeah it, it also would be one of the more unique situations like this bubble concept in general is just in the last 20 30 years like other than a couple lockout seasons there just hasn't been a scenario like this so i feel like that would be pretty awesome to go there and and cover from such a like a close-up in-depth level it's something we just all never seen before but yeah that's
0: I've never reported during a pandemic, so i, I yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all just new just, to me, for sure. <laughs> but, but what you're talking about like with my colleagues who are in the Orlando bubble, this is an occasion where they're one of like 20 people max in the room with the players, and players notice who's there during strange times. And so there's this feeling of like, we're all in this bubble, we're all in this together, Um, and you build relationships that way. There's like bonds when you see who's around in tough times. So it's as like a moment in time, I hope this is the only bubble that ever has to happen. I hope Mm -hmm. there's no more pandemics down the road, but for the moment in time to be a reporter covering this, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to be starting grad school up in Seattle and we, we did a little research and we found out that like you grew up near Seattle and ended up working for like local Washington radio stations and sports stations and there must have been like a bunch of co-workers friends and family who had strong ties to you know the Seattle Supersonics and I'm really sad that they're not there but as someone who who's a native of Washington state and someone who's in the basketball media world like what were you thinking when Seattle moved to Oklahoma City
0: Robbery straight up Robbery because that guy, Clay Clay Bennett, he mm-hmm. bought the team and he's like, I will not move the team. And then the narrator says, but he did move the team. So It just felt like, come on, man. It was like everybody could see what was going to happen and it's just so unfortunate. Like I think Washington is like, it's just a ripe area with basketball fans. There needs to be a team there. So should the NBA expand and God willing, they will again. Um, Like I follow the reports in the Seattle times about the arena development, like with, you know, getting a hockey team there and a basketball team and their share. I just think Seattle is a really rich sports market and I want basketball back there like I actually remember the big thing was even before that rewinding a little bit it was that draft year where the debate was is Greg Oden or Kevin Durant going to be the first pick I was like it needs to be Kevin Durant you guys need to make it Kevin Durant it's got to be Kevin Durant um and then Portland took Oden so it's like okay Seattle ended up with this one-of-a-kind once-in-a-generation sort of talent he got to play his rookie season with Seattle and then they up and left and that stinks but every time Kevin Durant talks about Seattle and that area, he speaks with a lot of love. You know, I think he he embraced that community. Um, he might still have a house there, but don't quote me on that. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, because I remember the Warriors played a game up in Seattle, and Durant came out in like the Sean Kemp jersey, and everyone was going crazy. Like it was still like yeah. he was one of one of their own, and it was just nice to see that. You know, they after what twelve years not in Seattle, like all those fans still loved him and. They rooted for the Warriors, and they need basketball.
0: Oh, my God, they need basketball. You know what? Players have a soft spot for the things that happen to them in their rookie season. It's the first fan base they fall in love with. It's the first time maybe they're living on their own. It's like you put on your big boy pants. You're an adult now. You have a house. You have people who depend on you. You've really got to devote yourself to work in a completely different way. Um, So I remember when that preseason game was on the schedule. I think ESPN commandeered that one, so NBC Sports Mm -hmm. Bay Area didn't get to cover it. But that was truly special. That was a nice, that was like a nice treat from the NBA, I think, to show Seattle fans, we see you. And we want to see how you turn up for basketball still when you haven't had it for a long time. Um, Because I remember like, so the Blazers were there and I would kind of keep an eye on them, you know, in Washington. I'd be like, "Eh, you know, you want to see, I guess you just go down I-5 and you see another West Coast (laughs) team succeed. But I never felt like the Blazers were totally adopted by Sonics fans I just never really felt that connection I I kind of saw it as more like ambivalence
1: I I thought Kevin Durant would be a changing point for Seattle sports you know the Mariners collapsing in the early 2000s but that didn't happen until the Seahawks kind of became good again Uh, sad for Seattle but going back to your job specifically you've talked a lot about how you said that you want to bring fans closer to the personalities and the characters of the game and that you want to show the basketballs more than just the X's and O's So can you walk us through your thought process pre-game and before post-game interviews to try and help bring us fans closer to the players?
0: Yeah, I think my job as a sideline reporter is to really tap into the emotion of what's happening because the play-by-play guy will illustrate, like, play-by-play is kind of the skeleton and then um, the color commentator puts the, the flesh on that skeleton and then, like, my job is to sort of give that skeleton a personality. Does that make sense? So there's there's a three-man squad and we all have our roles. Um, those guys in the booth, like color and, and the play-by-play guy, they can explain stats. They can kind of talk to you about what's going on in the court. I wanna know what's going on mentally. I wanna know what the emotions of the game are. So that's how I approach, approach things in like halftime interviews or post-game interviews. Or also when I do pre and post-game analysis, kind of know what the storylines are coming into a game say clay thompson has been on a a five game shooting slump and then if he busts out of it i gotta ask him about that post game you know and it's like how difficult was this for you clay you know we see it as a slump what did you see how did you push through this how did your teammates help you push through this um you know you might see the splashy three-pointer or the huge dunk who was the guy that passed to the guy that passed to the guy that had that dunk Um, so there's there's much more of a a team connection than like the highlights and you kind of have to be aware of like how does this all fit it's like a rubik's cube you know how do all the pieces fit in place acknowledge all the pieces and see if you can get a deeper story
2: speaking on that a little like after being part of the east Coast sports media scene for like such a long time like are there any major differences between kind of the relationships you build there and how the media talks to players and you know interacts with them on a daily basis compared to here in the west coast or is it like just more similar than not
0: um it's just more i would say like and I, i'm speaking specifically for new york city there's just more media and they mm. all need something that can differentiate their coverage so some of the best reporters you know they don't even bother to go to any a player is talking on a podium they're like well, we don't want that because everybody else has that sound right they'll be the one like kind of off to the side and like trying to get something as a player walks down the hallway. Those are one-on-ones. It it was just, you know, when I went to New York, I was coming from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I was a little intimidated at first. Like I had heard about how challenging the New York market would be. I thought it was gonna be really, excuse me, really like backstabbing and competitive. And it wasn't, it's just like any other place, even though New York wants to believe it's like more, i don't know better or something um so there's just a heck of a lot more media if you ever look at a scrum there do you guys know what those scrum is as far as media is concerned yeah 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 for, well just for your listeners i'll try to paint that picture so say i'm trying to think of god there were like four mixed coaches while i was there let's say like mike d'antoni when he was the next coach <laughs> he might after practice wander over he'll stand against the wall And then 30 or 40 media members would be in this like horseshoe around in the semicircle. We're all straining with our microphones to get it close to his mouth or or cell phones or something, you know, with a voice app open. And it's just, everybody is packed together. Everybody is sweaty and reporters are just yelling out different questions. So there's no like continuity to the interview really. It's Mm -hmm. just people shouting out their own individual topics. And then D'Antoni would speak for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then we would all kind of like, take a sigh and then like slowly back away and then D'Antoni could get out of the scrum. Oh um, so it's just, it's just more. That's what I would describe New York as more um, the Bay area media and like LA media. When we go down there for Lakers or Clippers games, it's, it's kind of like that. And it sort of predicates on who is speaking. LeBron gets a much bigger scrum than say the Warriors, Eric Pascal, you know, mm-hmm. cause when LeBron speaks, it might not, he might make national news. We're not just talking about like good sports news. We're talking about national news. And mm-hmm. players are actually coming into their their own sense of power there. Like they recognize when they say stuff, they can have a major impact. I think we're seeing that right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, with social justice. The WNBA is very good at this too. Um, and it's really positive and like invigorating to see athletes want to speak about things other than X's and O's.
2: Yeah I noticed Steph Curry had that like Instagram live session with Dr. Fauci and he talked about to his listeners like the coronavirus and how to prevent stuff like that. Do you think like you spoke on LeBron and how he's like national news like do you think he kind of created that player empowerment era at least that's going on right now regarding like I I know like with regards to free agency and stuff like he set a huge precedent for like players moving and stuff but he's also one of the I don't know if he's one of the first but he's one of the the most prominent people to kind of bring like political awareness and social issues into the nba at that high a level so would you would you think like he's responsible or is it just more of like a general movement that's happened
0: i think he's somebody in a chain of athletes who wants to bring justice for the forefront like i saw an interview where lebron said it was kobe who gave him tips on how to do this, like Kobe trying to empower guys to own their brand financially, but also in the way that they're portrayed. And then you can kind of rewind back, like Bill Russell was doing this stuff. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was doing this stuff. You look at other sports and it's Muhammad Ali or the 1968 track team. So I, I don't think athletes have always been involved with this. It just depends how much media wants to cover that and then in what way they want to cover that but you're right i do look like right now i would say lebron is the top guy for that and i, I think that awareness comes from the fact that wasn't he on the cover of sports illustrated like in high school
2: yeah I'm um, sure. he's
0: always been aware of the media around him and the intrigue for anything he has to say or for his skills on the basketball court and i think as he's grown up he sort of sensed the power that he has there Mm -hmm. Um, I see on his Instagram all the time like he'll let people do takeovers and it's for for charities or like activists and that kind of stuff and just you know giving giving up your platform for a day to to give exposure to somebody else there's momentous power and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and LeBron senses his power
1: yeah so you've been around some of the greatest coaches ever coach K coach Roy Williams Coach Oriyama and even Coach Kerr, and you've seen them in action. So have they helped you understand the game of basketball better through, through their eyes, either watching them on the court or talking with them post or pregame on the sideline or just asking them questions?
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's the personality side of basketball, like I don't do film study with those guys, but just by the process of osmosis or whatever, like listening to Coach K, you you have to get smarter when you cover basketball because I don't want to ask Coach K a dumb question. I want to show that I understand this game. In fact, my first assignment when I was in Raleigh-Durham was talking to Coach K when he got back from the Beijing Olympics. And that was sort of that moment where I'm like, whoa like I, I i texted my family after that i was like dad you wouldn't believe what just happened so or with um gino oriema it's like we did the gino oriyama show together so we had once a week 30 to 40 minutes uninterrupted where i can just listen to him talk about basketball like i had no choice but to get smarter as a, <laughs> as a, a student of the game you know what i mean and then now like steve kerr's depth of knowledge is just incredible because he's seen this game from every single angle and not just seen it had success. Like he is a multi, he's, he's a champion, right? He's got rings and then he earned them as a coach. So it just, you know, I think about everybody I get to be around and I'm I'm sort of, I'm pretty stunned. I've had a very charmed career.
2: Steve, people are saying like Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich for president would be like the president VP duo would be much better than anything happening right now. But yeah, he's, he's really wise. Like, I've seen a lot of interviews with Kerr, and he always he always seems to just have, like, a sense of the moment, right? Like, he just, he knows what's going on. He knows what to say. And I think he's he's one of the more popular coaches with, like, us young fans, right? Like, he, he, he caters well to, to that crowd. So we've been enjoying that here in the Bay. And with the Warriors in particular from, I guess, 2017 to the end of that Raptors final series... I noticed that in, like, social media video series, web series, interviews, and articles, a lot of the, at least the superstar players, like KD, Draymond, especially, there's so much more down-to-earth than what some of these, like, national big media chains like to portray them as. Like, there's no way Kevin Durant is a villain. He's, like, one of the nicest guys, at least from just watching things. And it was so sad to see that his image, I guess, being portrayed like that. So as someone who's spent... Like a lot of time with the team and i know you touched on like not being like super 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 close with them but like still being friendly with them is it difficult to balance like being a like a media member who's like doing it for the for the news aspect versus actually like knowing these guys like i guess more closely than we do
0: um i think it's helpful to care about the people you cover um does that you know what so when it comes to perceptions of people like oh draymond is an asshole not true Mm -hmm. um oh kevin durant is sensitive well he is but in a very philosophical way and i don't think kevin durant has done anything that we wouldn't do like if somebody was talking junk about you or was just negative or like had no idea what your thought process was and then criticized you for it wouldn't you kind of be like no, what are you talking about? That's not me. Like, I understand he gets a lot of heat for replying to people on Twitter, but I can understand his drive to sort of defend himself. And one thing about KD is that he hates when other people speak for him, which I'm kind of doing now. But, but just he wants to speak for himself. And he's like, you don't know my mind. You don't know my emotions. Why are you pretending to? That stuff really bothers him. All of his actions seem extremely human to me we have to remember these guys are human Um, and that way you can sort of understand where they're coming from.
2: Of course like I think also like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan like spoke about like mental health in the NBA and how that wasn't really a big thing so now with with players kind of putting more of their personal lives on on social media and really like showing us fans that they're not just these people we put on pedestals they're just humans like us like is are there more talks about mental health like happening within the organization like are they are they talking to media about remembering what players are going through when you when you like ask them questions or like just see them day to day?
0: Yes, I don't really recall a lot of conversations where like mental health is mentioned specifically, but there are different cultures for different NBA teams. And speaking on the Warriors culture, um, there's a sense of making sure players are physically fit and and mentally fit. Like Steve Kerr has explained going to five consecutive finals is mentally extremely difficult and there's value in how much rest Steph got, Clay got, Draymond got a little bit this season that rest comes via injuries which are unfortunate but if you look on the bright side of things forcing guys to rest can do things for their their mind and like their just relaxation like just to recalibrate that they never would have thought of so although they might not name it mental health awareness, I think they do put a lot into making sure guys are, um, I don't know, as best as they can be. And, and Steve Kerr really sees guys not as like players, but as as people. I know we keep coming back to the same themes, um, but he cares about these guys. He wants them to have days off. He wants them to have a life outside of work. He talks about filling your cup and having joy, Um, because you, if you're not like a whole human off the court, as far as if you don't feel as best as you can, you know, in your personal life, what does that do to you when you're at work? And there's lots of stressors there. So he wants guys to be their, their fullest self, I suppose. Cool. That's good to hear.
1: So just, just one last question. Basketball has always been a bit of a more progressive sport, especially compared to some of the other ones, maybe football or baseball. And especially with regards to women in sports, we've seen Becky Hammond, you know, assistant coach on the Spurs. And we've seen with NBA media, Doris Burke really become a powerhouse and Ramona Shelburne, Rachel Nichols on the jump, really be part of that great show on ESPN. And now you're a part of that too in the NBA. So I'm wondering what is it like being a woman in this sport, but a sport that's trying to get a lot more women, especially in in the WNBA and trying to grow that sport a lot more, but even in the NBA, trying to bring a lot more women into the NBA, either as coaches or in part of the media. Do you feel a certain responsibility? Do you feel proud to sort of carry that forward?
0: Um, on the media side, and I appreciate this question, by the way, on the media side, there are a lot more women in the locker room and we belong. We do this job. We love sports just as much. We're just as capable. And the second part of your question is sort of, it reminds me that the, uh, the NBA does want to recognize women, talented women, um, who are players in their own right, who are coaching in their own right. I think there were 12 or 13 women who had roles in the NBA. Um, We just saw Kara Lawson, who was with the Celtics, get hired. She's going to be the Duke women's coach. Um, But it's the sort of philosophy, that game-recognized game. If you know this game, people will respond to you. I actually asked Kevin Durant about this. Like, how would you feel about a female assistant coach? And he's like, does she hoop? Does she know? And, And that's it. You know, like it was pretty plain. So I think the resistance to women having these roles is coming from a small and predictable and loud sort of fan base saying the same thing. But, but otherwise, if you can show that you belong here, you're in. So I do believe we're going to see women in more prominent roles because they're valuable and they know this game. And men are receptive to being coached by people who just understand the game. Can women help you win? Yes. There you go. That's the answer.
2: Well, that's all that's all we really have for you. Thank you so much for for coming on. This is fun. This is like good to hear from someone like I see you on TV just watching Burger Games. It's it's so weird to actually like be talking to you. So it's it's awesome that you came on like we really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, Shri Ani, thank you so much. You know what? One of the best parts of this quarantine throughout all the stressful part is i have time to say yes to people you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. thank you for your preparation your questions were awesome you guys are really thoughtful so this was a lot of fun thank you
2: thank you thank you take care have a good one
0: thank you appreciate you guys
2: shout out again to kareth burke for joining us it was lovely hearing some of her answers to some of the questions we had for her and kind of get a, a better look into how sideline reporting really is for a professional basketball team so thanks again and we're going to be releasing this episode and some other content on our website we're going to be up to date on our Instagram so check us out there podcast.lockedin and yeah Ani anything else
1: that's it our website is lockedinpod.com our Instagram is podcast.lockedin please check us out we're going to be putting lots of content on there soon for you guys lots of exciting content on the way and as always stay safe wash your hands wash your hands people peace
0: The sports knowledge is too extensive.